All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today once again, as always, in the blockhouse. It's cold. It's chilly out here. I just want to warm my hands by a fire. And I'm here with Kelly. How's it going today, Kelly? No fires. It's April. Is it April? I mean, who knows what time is anymore? <laughs> uh, we're still... Uh, I'm, I've been trying to keep track just with, like, uh, you know, writing in my journal and stuff, and I've already, like, lost track. But I lost track at, like, day 35, I think, or, mm. you know, from... Tom Hanks getting it and the NBA being canceled, which to me is like day one. Uh, I think it was like March 12th or something. So now we're 40 plus days in, you know, like we said last week, we don't really notice it because we're working every day, going to work every single day, but people are still at home. We're here today to talk about Bob Dylan. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as the department store in Shiba. Shibuya, 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 Tokyo, Ichimaru, K Y U with a little slash over it. Q. Ichimaru Q. Ichimaru Q Q Q. Ichi is one, so one. Maru means boat, but also a number apparently. <laughs> one. Q. Oh. Yeah. And this week we listen to Dink Song. If I had wings. Like an oyster Fly the river To the one I love Fare thee well Honey, fare thee well Alright Kelly, we spent the entire week listening to Dink's song. Now Dink um, is nobody that we know nobody that any of the singers knew uh this is a collected song um but it's not a bob dylan song interestingly um it's i guess you could say a cover i don't know do you have to be big to be covering songs i don't know bob dylan did nothing but play these types of songs when he was just starting um but is it a cover if you change a bunch of the lyrics and make it your own i guess we'll talk about that in a little bit but before we get into it kelly how did you how was your week with dink's song have you ever heard this song before no but apparently the song has had like a huge second life because there's a movie about Dave Van Rock. He's It's loosely based on his uh, life. Okay. Yeah. In Greenwich Village and kind of the folk scene in general. Should I watch that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's on my what list it of uh, Inside, Luella, Inside Llewellyn Davis. Okay. But yeah, I guess Oscar Isaac plays Dave Van Rock. Is that it? He, he's not named Dave Enron. Oh, he's just like a fictional character, but it's, it's yeah, like, it's like the Bob Dylan stuff. He's not oh, Bob Dylan. Okay. He's you know John Wesley Harding or whatever. Like, so, like No Direction Home is that what it was? Yeah, or, uh, or no, I'm not there. I'm not there. Okay, so it's like, but not like that. Not not as as spacey as that. This is more of a. I think as far as I understand it, it's like a gritty, realistic movie. You know, taking okay. place in that time, and he's just a folk singer singing songs, and they apparently play this song twice during the movie, gotcha. uh, with the lyrics adjusted um, for a man and for a woman. In both iterations. I don't know when they show up. I think it starts the movie. I mean, because Oscar Isaac is playing with the Mumford guy. Right. Uh, it's not on our playlist, but it's, you know, you can certainly go and listen to that. But yeah, I think that brought it way back yeah. into the, the, the foreground. But I, I never heard it. I've never seen that movie. I never heard no, it. No, so. it's surprising that I've never seen that movie either. I've wanted to. But we definitely had a lot of different versions on our playlist that we kind of took on, put like took off, put, you know, throughout we the weeks listening to the song or whatever, week. Uh, I, we've heard a lot of different versions. Bob's is the best, man. 
gotta say, yeah. really, it really just is. It's he's able to make it have a lot of movement and and evoke a lot of emotion, even though it's not necessarily a sad song. Like like the way musically it sounds, it's not sad, yeah. but it like he gets there. It makes it like melancholy. Like even though. Like, you can make a fast, sad song. And, well, oh, my God. What? Instead of everybody else's versions of it, which beat you over the head with it. Like, you can tell it's sad because I'm playing it slowly. Uh, slowly. Yes. <laughs> and I'm very, you know, I'm, and I'm also emphasizing, we'll get into the lyrics, but I'm emphasizing some of the sadder, you know, more beautiful parts of the song that Bob just sort of pushes aside. He, he goes for the non, um, you know, sort of obvious choices. In this, and we're definitely going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about all of our listens. We listened to uh, Josh White, uh, Van Ronk, who's basically covering Josh White, uh, Carolyn Hester, Odetta, uh, was it Gabriel Rios, uh, and then uh, yeah, we'll just com- kind of compare how they all took it over these last fifty years to Bob Dylan and his song, which I think is it's not an original song by any means, but he does have three verses that are wholly his and i think that's very much what he was doing very early i mean this is a very early song by bob dylan as we've found out in season four of sign on the window a bob dylan podcast <laughs> you are uh, an expert guitarist now oh, and, a, and a musician is it any different this week did you play dink's song i did learn how to play dink's song you did i did um uh, so i will illustrate for you i need this to happen so, gonna... oh my God, where did that guitar come from? <laughs> I don't know. It just appears when I will it. I thought I was just stabbing in the dark. I didn't even know if he did it or not. Oh yeah! Wow, what a surprise! Uh... Oh my God, is that a capo too? What? 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 So I'm not gonna use that for a second. Oh no. So here's here's Dave Van Ronk's version. Okay. An approximation of Dave Van Ronk's version. Slow, right? Yes. Even if you have a little flavor to it, but it's just those chords in different orders. I think it throws a B minor in there at some point. Oh yeah. During one of the that feels very ding song. But yeah, it's just it's basically just A major, D major, and then F minor. <laughs> that's it. F sharp minor. Sorry. So that's Dave Van Rock's version. Very pl- plainted. Very nice. And we got that nice F sharp minor. Or would be nice if we did. Anyway, so that's all the versions kind of sound. Okay, but Bob's um, Bob's playing an E flat major. You so are putting a capo on, on the, the third fret. Oh wow, wow! But we're just using a couple of chords. We're gonna do C okay. again with the capo, and we're gonna do a modified F because we're not barring the whole thing. So it's like I can't remember how I did this. So this is a modified F. Kind of. We're just not playing the first string. We're not playing a low string because it's not barred. So F. And we got A minor and G. That's it. Okay. All the, the whole chords. But he's doing a lot of he's doing a little bit of palm muting, and, and, but mostly uh, he's muting his left hand to, to make those particular pick noises. So but let's see if you can play it, Kelly. Right. <laughs> oh, that fucked it up. This, and I'm already like. Yeah. Oh. I want to go faster too. 
Yeah. What I love. And then he does this like little progression really fast. It's like fairly hard to well. yeah, it's like... My honey. Fairly well. But it, the, when he does right before the fairly well part, he like yeah. secretly goes through all four chords. Mm, nice. He does, like he does, and then if it's and secret, then... how do you know? Oh, DylanChords.com. They cracked the secret. Yeah, that was fun. Um, I can I can say this. I can tell the difference between that and Dave Van Rock's version. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I know you couldn't before I illustrated it for you. Yeah, so I mean, but it's yeah, it's true. It's like it's um, it sounds sounds great. If I had wings like no done, I'd fly up the river. To the girl I love So this, this song, uh, just to give brief context, is it's kind of interesting. I think it's like a lot of those old blues songs that gets lost in time. This was uh, discovered by John Lomax uh, from a woman named Dink. I'll read a quote from him in, in a second. Um, but even with that information widely, even with that information widely available, the internet still has a really hard time disseminating correct information. I'm, I'm blown away by this. Uh, I was listening to Dave Van Ronk's folkways collection from the smithsonian um down on washington street a lot of his early recordings dink song was number two uh while i was doing this i was reading the liner notes and i was like oh shit we're doing dink song let me just save this really quick um in the little notes you know the liner notes it says in 1908 john lomax collected this song from a woman named dink as she washed washed her clothes near the bravos river in texas when he went back a few years later to look for her, she had passed away. It's a beautiful song that's been recorded by numerous folk, song, folk singers ever since. From Wikipedia, Wikipedia, you know, the website, uh, the first historical record of the song is from John Lomax from 1909, recorded from an African-American woman named Dink as she was washing her husband's clothes in a tent camp of migratory levee workers on the bank of the Great Calhoun Bayou River, a few miles from Houston, Texas, and the University of Houston. Remember that one. Clinton Halen, in his book Behind the Shades, says this song, uh, from such a resource, he was able to hear field recordings uh, from Alan's father, John, um, that he made in 1904 across the Bravo the Brazos River from Texas A&M College. And from Vulture, they did a they did a thing while Inside Llewellyn Davis was out. Um, eight unique versions that you can listen to. A bunch of websites did. Like, oh, what's this song? Everybody loves this movie. What is this song? Here's a bunch of versions of it. Um, and they set up this as, the story goes that in 1904, legendary musicologist John Lomax went to do field recordings down by the Mississippi levees. So we've like cut out the river completely. Uh, and was eventually... And he was eventually pointed in the direction of the woman with the name crooning it. I love that someone's just like pointing, like like he can't hear her singing. He's like, who sang that song? Well, that. I mean, you know, you could hear she's so she's right there. Who points for points uh, to me now? Point, point now. <laughs> I I need this. I need you to point. 
uh, John Lomax uh, in Folk Song USA, also released as Best Loved American Folk Songs uh, in 1947, had sort of a laid it out. I mean, really, I don't know why people don't go to this because is John Lomax authoritative or not? I, I feel like if he's the one who, who did this, we got to just take his word for it. We can't just start making up 1908, 1909, 1904. He says, quote, I found Dink scrubbing her man's clothes in the shade of their tent across the Brazos River from A&M College in Texas. Professor John C. Nagel of the college faculty was the supervising engineer of a levee building company, and he invited me to come along and bring my Edison recording machine. Uh, antiquated language alert. The Negroes were trained levee workers from the Mississippi River. That Edison recording has since been lost, um, so we don't have that. Yeah. and then this is uh, her. Dink knows all these songs, said her companion. But I did not find her helpful until I walked a mile from the farm commissary and brought her a pint of gin. As she drank the gin, the sounds from her scrubbing board increased in intensity and volume. She worked as she talked. And this is her talking. That little boy there ain't got no daddy and ain't got no home. It comes from Mississippi. And we never saw these levy and word till we got till they got us here. I, I brought this boy. I, I brung along my little boy. My man drives a four-wheel scraper down there when you see that dust rising. I keeps the tent, cooks these vitals, and washes his clothes. Some days, Isaac go in to wrap up his wet britches and shirts, roll them in a knot, put them in the middle of the bed, and tuck them down the covers right nice. Then I'm going up the river where I belong. She sipped her gin, and she sang, and she drank until the bottle was empty. Later, Lomax, and then the lyrics come after that. Lyrics continue, or Lomax continues to say after that, quote, the lyrics and music of Dink's song are to me uniquely beautiful. Professor Kitteridge praised them without stint. Carl Sandburg, the poet, compared them to the best fragments of Sappho. As you might expect, Carl prefers Dink to Sappho. When I went to find her, <laughs> don't say stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> wow. When I went to go find her in, in Yazoo, Mississippi, so again, we have another place. Uh, some years later, her woman friends pointing, again pointing, to a nearby graveyard told me, Dink's done planted up there. I could find no trace of her son who didn't have no name. And the uninteresting connection too, and there's going to be a lot of connections in this episode, um, but another really interesting um, connection here is that John Lomax, when he passed away, Alan Lomax took on the mantle of his dad's work and kept this going until his death in, I think, 2002, I want to say. Um, but his assistant during this time, you might recognize her name. Her name is Carla, which you don't recognize yet, but Rotolo. Oh, hey, Suze. Suzie's. Suze, Suzie's. Uh Sister. But she works for Alan Lomax. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And in uh, Clinton Halen's book, Behind the Shades, uh, he says, quote, Lomax had published folk songs in North America, which is another big book. Um, This is Alan Lomax's book. So another collection of these songs. Uh, He had just released those the previous year, which would have been like 19, I would guess 1960, um, 1959. Uh, After years of working on similar folk song anthologies with his father, John, and Dylan had clearly been through the book with an otherwise unused with an otherwise unused comb, haha, joke because his hair is all messed up, um, a scrap of paper along with the McKenzie manuscripts has a whole set of numbers that tally with songs in the Lomax collection. Dylan could go round to Carla's or Lomax's and listen to these recordings from the collection. After all, he couldn't read music, so even if he learned the words, he still needed to hear the tune in order to play any of the old songs. Through the years, Dylan has continued to acknowledge the debt that he owes to Lomax, if not Carla, only recently referring to Alan as, quote, one of those who unlock the secrets of this kind of music. Uh, so this has been recorded by everyone under the sun. So we uh, mentioned that we're going to do a couple here. 
Um, but there's at least, you know, 60 different versions that we could have chosen from famous ones like Pete Seeger, um, could have been on here as well, but you know, we do that enough. Cisco Houston, you know, Cisco, Sonny, Lynn Belly too, uh, that of, uh, song to Woody fame. He recorded this as well. And again, like you said, we had so many versions on the playlist that maybe even you might've even listened to before we sort of nixed it and kind of made it more of a traditional playlist. We didn't, I didn't, we didn't want to do a stack of Lee type of thing where we just had 10,000 ding song mainly because it's not as good. Yeah, well, good. and also it's not instructive after a minute, right? It's like, okay, and they're all I get it. basically the same. Yeah. It's Bob's version is the outlier, whereas Stackley was interesting because Bob's version f- sucked comparatively. I mean, he just, his just wasn't as creative as what other people did with Stackley, which right. makes that song just vastly superior. Um, but this song is so beautiful, but it's just traditionally done, almost reverently done, you know? Uh, whereas I don't think there's any reverence for Stackley, mainly because it's just like a fucking barroom murder, you know? Yeah. It's, it's different than this pain and suffering and sadness that are this woman, um, like beautifully yeah just, her soul. Whew, like you can't yeah, i agree don't fuck with that uh he's played this song three times total uh once in 1961 which we'll talk about later and then two dates along the rolling thunder review tour the rolling thunder two if you will uh 1976 so not the famed one in 75 mm-hmm. but the the cross-country one that gave us hard rain uh he played it once on April 25th, 1976 in Gainesville, Florida, oh, just yeah. as part of a, part of his set. And then another time on May 15th, 1976, he played it at the Gatesville School, the Gatesville State School for Boys in Gatesville, Texas. Um, I had to look this up. There's a 2007 article in the Temple Daily Telegram uh, writing on a, a guy named Charles Reeve, who I think was like a superintendent at the school. He said in this article, he said, quote, the, Gate, the Gatesville School earned a small place in the history of popular culture in 1976 when Bob Dylan, John Baez, and possibly Joni Mitchell, we don't even know, played a free concert there as part of Dylan's Rolling Thunder review tour. Joan Baez sang one of Dylan's earliest compositions, Walls of Red Wing, uh, a poetic and haunting description of life inside of a juvenile detention facility, which why didn't Bob play that? You will never know. Why do you play Dig Song? No fucking clue. Uh, Dylan and his cohorts might have ha- might have played a very might might have played to a very small audience in Gatesville because the state had quit sending boys there not long after the 1974 ruling. What was the 1974 ruling? There was a 1971 class action lawsuit filed on behalf of juvenile offenders determined that certain practices at the Texas Youth Council facilities amounted to cruel and unusual punishment. The school was closed in 1979. So we did watch that. Um, in um, Rolling Thunder, remember they like would go to weird places mm-hmm. and play it. Yeah, so Gatesville School for Boys or whatever was just a random stop. Which you gotta love it. I love that type of shit. There's no circulating tape. We don't even know if Joni Mitchell was there. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and those are the only three times he ever played it. It's pretty interesting that we know he played it, but we don't know who the fuck. We don't know really anything else about the concert. But we know he played that. We know he played that. Well, we don't know that Joan Baez played Walls of Red Wing. That's that's. Like a guess, she it's said that she did. Well, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> how do we not know? How is no one there? Was it just Bob, Joan, uh, Joan, and possibly Joni? Just the three of them alone. Anyways. When I wore my aprons low, I couldn't keep you from my. Two. 
Kelly, let's talk about the song itself. Okay. So, before we get into all of the lyrical variations, what do you, is there any narrative through line with this song for you? Is there any anything that's going on that I just think, like is obvious? I think it's a a woman who said that her her man doesn't come around anymore. Like yeah. I think it's it it makes sense that she with that brief description of her life, you know, from her where she's just like, yeah, I, I mean, I cook and clean, take care of our house, which is a tent, and yeah. he goes off and he does whatever well, he he's does. working on the levy, right? That's the the implication, if you will, just right there. And it's like so fucking sad because it starts. She's like, I used to wear my apron real low, like show, well, I show know. them goodies, and then <laughs> she's like, then I hiked it up a little bit. Like as I got older, my apron got higher, and he stopped coming around as much. Like not not like a one to one. Like he doesn't find me attractive anymore. Just like time passes. Yeah, relationships fall apart. People change. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just it's sad. It's such a beautiful. Yeah, I think I think the through line is it's this woman's life. It's just like a, or this the person's it's such yeah. a simple life. Like her song. I mean, yeah. I think that's why it's still just called Ding's song because it's just her her life song, uh, which I think is incredibly beautiful. Uh, so the version we listened to was uh, recorded by Bob December twenty second, nineteen sixty one, uh, at the house of Bonnie Beecher, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, there is a uh, the college town where the university of minnesota is it's called dinky town oh shit there's no relation she didn't found dinky town <laughs> that'd be rad uh and in the version that we that we have if you listen to the, to the minnesota tape you get a little snippet of bob dylan before saying let's see if i remember how to play this and then an outro where bob dylan lies and says that's the way i heard it i heard it from this lady named dink don't know who wrote it huh? that's the way i heard it i heard that from a lady named dink I don't know who wrote it. <laughs> and then Bob Dylan lies. And then Bob Dylan lies. <laughs> which, is, this is, which is his thing. Yes. Uh, and we were talking last week about the through line of Bob Dylan's sound and where he is. Uh, and, I, and I was just telling you then that I think your timeline is fucked up. But I think you're, um, what you're noticing is, is correct. Yeah, I think that it may be anachronistic in that he dips into it whenever he, yeah. it feels appropriate to do so. But yeah, this is like fully what I was talking about last week where this is his proto voice. The like, I'm just imitating. I'm Or I'm putting Even on, t- talking. Even his, yeah, his even, actual it, voice. Yeah, his speaking voice. Even I think he was leaning very hard on how he wanted to be perceived. And it's like... It's fake in that everyone's fake, everyone's an asshole, when it's like you want people to think of you this certain way. Sure. So maybe he did talk to his friends like that naturally, but I got to tell you, that's not like his normal voice or yeah. whatever. It's just, and I don't I don't fault him for that because he like, he's like, oh yeah, I'm this guy. I'm this well, guy. Well, and he's also nobody. He's not a recording star. What he a hasn't, perfect opportunity he to be whoever you want. Absolutely. So he's, he's just now formulating his first album of covers, you know, so... I think it's that, and I think it's um, Cynthia Gooding on Folk Singer's Choice. That's who you're thinking of, Cynthia Gooding. Um, when he tells a story that I'm a carnival worker coming out of, you know, New Mexico, and um, you know, I'm, I'm hanging out on the Missouri River in Sioux Falls because I don't know ge- geography. Yeah, I mean, that's he's he's just a character. And as much as I want to like pretend that there's some like intimacy with your friend with Tony Glover recording it. He's probably not. He's probably completely performing. He knows that he's being recorded. It's just funny how it all works out that he's one of the most famous people in the whole world. And like how many people, I mean, I certainly did. How many people did little things like this where you like pretend that you're being recorded? You pretend 
that this is going to be something that is going to be listened to for ages. So I'm sure he's, yeah, just pretending he's, or, this or is who I am and what I'm going to be. Even to himself. Like it, yeah. it's, it's one of those two things. It's Great. either he Great really point. just turns it on when the recording starts or he, he styled himself as this guy. I'm this guy. Yeah. And like, like everyone I mean, has everybody's been, everyone goes through periods of dumb shit. Where everybody's like, been 19 years old. Everybody exactly. knows. Yes. So, so I, it, it's, it's, it's real. It's legitimacy is irrelevant. I'm just noticing vocally that like, oh yeah, he's definitely that guy, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's funny because later Bonnie will say like when she heard Nashville Skyline, Muppet voice, she she recognized something in there that was here. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the person she knew here, she recognized in that voice, mm-hmm. which I think is strange. But I think it's also kind of, it. they're both weird because they, they both are not how I imagine Bob Dylan sounding like. Bob Dylan kind of drops that and then picks it back up in 69 and in between he just sounds kind of what you think he sounds like a nasally mm-hmm. youth you know a like, nasally, <laughs> nasally <on> youth. Drugs. <laughs> in the no direction home volume seven liner notes uh, i dug it up uh eddie gordo gordo detsky gordo detsky uh, wrote uh, that this song in particular was, quote, the young Bob Dylan collecting floating lyrics from traditional songs and reshaping them into personal statements. And I think that's a, a lot of what's going on here. So we're going to talk about what Bob Dylan shares with these Dink songs um, and what he moved away from and what he didn't pick up. So we started with the one true through line. Uh, not true because Rios fucks this up. But the one true through is if I had wings, like Noah's dove. And I always, and you, you didn't hear Noah's dove. And I, and I told you that I always thought if I had wings, like I always do, which doesn't make sense, but it's fine. Whatever. Um, you can't tell what Bob Dylan is singing. No. Uh, everyone else is very hitting that Noah's dove. Noah's dove. Noah's <laughs> dove. Noah from the Bible. Thank you. Uh, so, but if I had wings uh, like Noah's dove, I'd fly the I'd fly over the river. Uh, variations on that to the one I love. Fare thee well, honey. Fare thee well. Only Rios changes it up in that he doesn't use that line first. How dare you? And uh, if I had if I had wings of a dove. No more Noah shit. I'd fly up the river to see my love. So he just takes Noah out completely, which I think is bound to happen eventually. God, when that song just keeps going, it's like, ah, I don't care about Noah. I don't care about this Bible shit. Let's, I just want to be a dove. Yeah. <laughs> I love doves. Uh, it is a, it is, I like it though. It's a very compelling start, especially thinking about Dink, like the Dink, the real Dink, um, singing this song. It's very beautiful. Like just. If I if I could fly away, I mean, she said in there, I I, I long for a day we I can pile up all of his laundry, and then float up the river and go back to where I'm supposed to be. I don't want to yeah. be here. And so just this idea of like being a, a bird and yeah. flying away, it's very sad. Yeah. It was very beautiful. And the fare thee well, my honey, fare thee well. Oh, it's so pretty. And it's almost it's kind of spooky too because it's like, what is that all? Who are you talking to with that? Like, are you leaving? Is he leaving? I mean, that's what I think is maybe going on, right? Well, Who's leaving? Like he, Which one's he going? Leaves, but I think that this verse sets up like what she she wants to escape. It, like, she this is my whole life, but she's putting it in the very first verse. I want to leave. Like he left, yeah. but like I've been gone. I've been emotionally gone. Oh, that's so sad. Oh man. <laughs> and then following Bob Dylan's, uh, we're gonna follow Bob Dylan's lyrics, which are gonna you know, not be the same as everybody else. Um, his next verse is if I had a man, uh, who was long and tall, um, I'd move his body. He'd move his body. He just move, says moved. D- yeah. M- moved his body, mm-hmm. moved his body like a cannonball. Fairly well. 
my honey, fare thee well. Uh, this one's interesting because Bob, because White and Van Ronk change it to covering, a lady because they're covering. cowards. And Bob Dylan is not a coward. And Rio Slater, Rio Slater did that change as well. To a woman too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, cowards. Yes, and that's exactly what I was thinking as well. I mean, Bob Bob's the only one who decided to just stick it through because he's awesome. He's getting little respect points. <laughs> he's getting respect I'm keeping points. a tally of respect points for Bob Dylan. It, it goes up and down. I take him off. I add him back. Oh, that's good. Yes. He gets one. Well, and that's always nice. Um because yeah, they they change it to the gal I love, long, long and tall. She moves her body like a cannonball. Yeah. But I mean, it's effectively the same thing, right. same verse, but not the same. But not the same. <laughs> very, very important. Um, there is um, the Bob Dylan Encyclopedia. Michael Gray likens this song to someone that we'll talk about at the end of this entire podcast series. Blind Willie McTell. Um, he had a song called uh, East St. Louis Blues, which Bob Dylan would have definitely heard. Um, and there's lyrics in there that he might have heard even before this song. Because, again, you know, he's possibly reading it, but I don't know how big of a reader Bob Dylan wa- was then. Or if he's, you know, it's weird to read lyrics, right? I mean, like, where does that go? You know, he, like, like, um, Halen was saying he needed to hear the song. Like, even if he had the lyrics, he needs to hear a song to put it to. Um, this song uses some of these lyrics. Um, Blind Willie Mattel sings, uh, Fare thee well, honey, fare thee well. You can shake like a cannonball. Get out there and learn that old Georgia crawl. Fare thee well, honey, fare thee well. Um, so he's using that cannonball thing as a direct reference to Ding Song, and that's from the 19, 1940s. So, yeah. So there's, they're already playing with this sort of concept. So Bob Dylan is taking something like that, and he's... Um, you know, sort of incorporating that, which is pretty interesting. Uh, the next verse for Bob Dylan, the the one evening, then one evening, it was a drizzling rain by my heart. I felt an aching pain. Fare thee well, my honey, fare thee well. Uh, for Josh White and Dave Van Ronk co- uh, covering him, uh, it's morning. Odetta changed everything to morning because it's a fucking morning song now. There is no night. There is nothing. It is morning. <laughs> uh, Hester uses the original. Carolyn Hester uses that original. Um Remember one night it was drizzling rain around my heart. I felt a pain. Fare thee well, my honey. Fare thee well. So it's only Hester that actually used the real, um, the real line. So these uh, everybody else the, sort of the actual like official lyrics from like the Lomax. Thing. Yeah, from the Lomax okay. thing, right? So Hester Hester went back to the to the, to that version um, for the drizzling rain um, that was happening for some in the evening and for some in the morning, uh, and then. Bob Dylan and Carolyn Hester are unique in this regard because they're the only ones of the ones that we listen to. And I think for the most part, probably all of them, they use the apron lines. Everybody else cuts the apron stuff out because it it does feel superfluous if you're trying to like hone in on just like sadness and, and grief and stuff. But I think there's like that element of it, that like quotidian, um, you know, house domestic sphere that we're talking about like love within a family and a home that i think is really important to the song really important for that character but when you take it away it just becomes a universal longing right but i I love that bob keeps the fucking all of these little details in and i think the apron shit is fucking banging and it's only carolyn hester and only bob dylan uh that do it and hester uses the original uh when i when i wear my aprons low i couldn't keep i couldn't keep you from the door couldn't keep you from my door, sorry. Couldn't keep you from my door. Fare thee well, oh honey, fare thee well. When I was young, young and hot. Young and hot. Coming around couldn't keep you away from me. And now yeah. time's gone on. Things are changed and damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's to come after, right? That's why this it, yeah, well yeah, that's why these lines are important, I think, yeah. for the song, because that is the character portrait. It's like and how is that not a universal feeling when you're young and, and like 
you can't keep your hands off each other. Sure. And like you're and then, so in love, nothing will ever change it, right? And then time goes on, and like, who are you? Lives now? change. And... Totally, totally. And Bob Dylan, uh, in, in his version, though, and maybe I want to hear what you think. Uh, As I wore my apron low, couldn't keep you away from my door. So he's using away from my door. Couldn't keep you from same. one person from one person away. Yeah, yeah same. Yeah. But the the idea being like you would keep. Yeah, I couldn't get you out of here because yeah. you just wanted this all the time. That's a great point, and I wasn't really thinking about it like that when I was writing this out. But it's true. Yeah, they they in this context mean exactly the same thing. Uh, and then Bob Dylan continues. Now that my apron is up to my chin, uh, you pass my door. Wish you never come in. Fare thee well, honey. My fairly well. Hester uses the original. Now my apron's up to my chin. You pass by, but you won't come in. Those two are different. You pass by, but you won't come in. You pass my door. Wish you never can't come in. Is it wish and not which? No, I did, I copied this straight up oh. from yeah. You pass my door. Wish you never. W- well, which you never come in. That doesn't make any sense. You he has come in before, right? Not anymore. Now that apron's up to her chin. Oh yeah. Now my apron is up against my chin. You pass my door. Which you never come in. Yeah. Um. Possibly. Yeah. But I mean, just copying it from the lyrics. Wish you, but you pass my door. Wish you never come in. Same sentiment, you know, sort of saying, I wish that I, maybe he feels pain too, right? So I wish that I didn't, um, I never met you because then I wouldn't feel this sad, right? So that's a little, maybe what Bob Dylan's getting at. You know, you wish you never did something. Um, But in the original one, and Hester sings, you know, you pass by by my door and you won't come in anymore. So it's almost full agency on his point. Like, I don't want to come in. Um, and the other one is, is saying, you know, I, I just wish none of this well, existed. Yeah. Well, these are two very different yeah. things because if you're, for me, it's like the one where you pass my door, but you never come in. That's if he's, I want, I wish we were still in love. I yeah. wish like the, the narrator, I, w- I wish that you still came around. I wish we still had that love. And then the, I wish like for the narrator to say, I wish you never came in is like, Either I wish this never happened or I wish you would stop fucking coming over because I'm done. Yeah, that's fair. I'm done. I want to be a dove. <laughs> and I want to fly away. To round out the apron verses, nobody used uh, the next apron verse line. Uh, it's not actually the next. It's actually between those two. So it goes from uh, my I wore my apron low and then in the middle, um, she uh, the original song goes, uh, now, now I wear my apron high, scarcely ever see you passing by. Fare thee well. Oh, honey, fare thee well. Um, and then you get the, now my apron's up to my mm. chin. So we go from low, high to up to my chin. Uh, but nobody opted for the the high. Scarcely ever see you passing by. That one's a little bit redundant. Like we've, we've illustrated time has passed either because you chose to raise your apron because you're you're older and you don't want to anymore. And now he doesn't find you attractive or you did it so he would no longer find you attractive. Yeah. Oh, wow. Man. Like, yeah. This song is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bob Dylan just rolls off the script and completely demolishes uh, my entire setup for who had what verses and everything. Because the next three are Bob Dylan originals. Um, Muddy well, Water. God, that makes so much more sense. Okay. Muddy Water runs Muddy and Wild. Can't get a bloody for my unborn child. Fairly well, honey. well. So Bob then really is like, I have a narrative in mind, and tragedy. I'm rolling it in. But, I mean, he's also picking up on some historical biographical information that he would have read. I mean, the Muddy, the muddy River is Mississippi. I mean, if, if that is where this is happening, 
and working on the Mississippi levees, he is grounding this in a very particular place that no other song does. So I think that's why Bob's singing about that. But of course, we have to have the unborn child. Of course, although there is no unborn child. But there is an unnamed child, right? Some A child that does exist that Alan doesn't know about mm-hmm. because he didn't think to ask or whatever, right? Uh, and then the number nine train, white people love trains. White people love trains. Number nine train, dummy no harm. Number nine train, take my poor baby home. Fare thee well, my honey, fare thee well. Um, you know, introducing trains. Again, white people love trains. Mm. I mean, you can't really fault the man. Uh, and then the very last verse, which I do love the way he sings this. I fucking love it. Uh, fastest man that I ever saw, Skid, Missouri, on his way to Arkansas. Fare thee well, my honey, fare thee well. Again, putting it in context, right? I mean, you've got Missouri, Arkansas, those are places. Uh, the Mississippi River hits them. So there we are. And if we're talking about Dink's, um, Dink talking to... Uh, John Lomax um, and saying, I want to go up the river. That's going up the river, leaving. Well, Missouri is higher than Arkansas, but you get the point. I mean, it's sort of, but then, you know, the fastest man I ever saw is this character here is almost commenting on how fast that other, the man went away. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is sad. It is sad. So what do you think about those three? Are they not? So the song just ends with the other verse? Uh, well, yeah, so the, the other, I'll get, I'll get to that part too. The other, the original uh, verse ends with uh, a line that only, only our boy Rios uses, but he uses it wrong. Uh, the real Dink song ends with the lines, uh, if I had listened to what my mama said, I'd be at home in my mama's bed. Fare thee well, oh honey, fare thee well. Um, almost a lament, almost like a childhood lament. Like a, if I just listened to my mom, all, all this can be gone. I, I wish it was all gone and I could just be back home as a child, start over, whatever. Uh, and then Rios goes and ruins it by saying, if I'd only listened to what my mama said, I have so much confusion in my aching head. Fairly well. Oh, honey. Fairly well. He's the only one that uses that line, but he uses it as his middle verse. He only uses three of the verses. So is it really Dink song? <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's, he's the only one that used that. For the most part, everybody did use everything and the only uh, other verse out there is the one that bob dylan does not use but everyone else used because i think it's the most beautiful line in the whole thing either the most beautiful or like the most kind of haunting depending on your um your view of all of this and it's like verse number three uh in the original thing song uh but it's one of these days and it won't be long call my name and i'll be gone fare thee well my honey fare thee well um the variations on that are Josh White and Dave Van Ronk covering Josh White. You'll call my name and I'll be gone. Uh, Odetta, because it's a morning song. Uh, she says one of these mornings, you'll call my name and I'll be gone. Uh, but otherwise Bob Dylan just says, no, I, I don't even want to use that line. And I think that, I think that line's the best line. I think that one pulls it all together, but Bob's like, no, thanks. I'm too cool. Uh, this is a, this is an art project and I don't want to just do the obvious Let's one. Let's talk about trains. Let's talk about trains. It definitely, it, it helps your, um, it, it helps your narrative. For yeah. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the only one that doesn't, that doesn't make it in. Does this song work in 2020? And final thoughts on Dink's song. Are you happy you listened to it? Happy you learned how to play it? You got to play with the capo. That's pretty fun. But. Yeah. Um, definitely happy that we did it. It's really beautiful. And I stand by firmly that Bob's the best version. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Um, I mean, the lyrical choices, I don't think that he, anything felt like it was missing and I wouldn't know the difference anyway because I don't know the original song uh, I think his additions the train stuff maybe like especially the very last verse that he added probably could have 
skip that one. Um, yeah. But it's it's really beautiful, and I'm just impressed with the way that he's able to he make sells it, it though. still feel yeah. melancholy, sure. but have the most movement of any of the versions. And I think it Mumford. definitely does work, obviously, now. Like, that fucking movie proved it. Clearly, I was like, oh, oh yeah. Mumford, sun me up. Uh, well. Oscar Isaac. Um, and uh, that version that Gabriel Rios or whatever is, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. That was like a really wild interpretation of it. Yeah. It's so strange because it's like a synth pop song kind of or whatever you want to call it, electronic something. Yeah. And then halfway through it, it's like, okay, but remember guitars? This is kind of what the song really sounds like. If I'd only listen to what my mama said, wouldn't have so much confusion in my aching head. Fare thee well. Yeah, it kind of had an Odetta vibe too because Odetta and his are the only two that have like a little musical interlude semi in the middle. So I definitely break up the song. Clearly, it resonates, and I think it's that stands to the testament of the progenitor of the song. Like she, that's what a great. It's an all timer. It's an all timer. Yeah. if this is yeah. if this is the only thing you're ever known for, it's a wonderful thing to be known for. It's a beautiful yeah. song. It's too bad we don't actually know more. It's too, it's too bad. It's too bad that that recording is gone. I mean, that's the biggest lament of all of this. I would have fucking loved to have heard Especially, her like, sing. with a fucking washboard, just mm. like, ugh. Yeah, that would have been magic. But um, but yeah, we just have interpretation, and that is what it is. Um, yeah, I don't think it's Staggerly. I think that Staggerly, we had... You know, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds version of it. I mean, the interpretation is still incredibly limited. Um, at least Rios is sort of changing around lyrics and is taking away, you know, the, the opening lines, which I think is definitely probably the the bold move that somebody should have fucking done. And, and maybe some other versions did. We didn't listen to every fucking version. And if there are more, I would love to hear them because I feel like you taking away that, that first verse is um, treasonous. <laughs> I just think it's so good. It's just such a great line and such a great opener. And it's so this song. And when you take it away, I just don't know what's left of the song. I think that's why that he probably did it because it's like, uh, can't call me Mumford and Sons now, right? Like not, not that he was thinking that, but like how to make the song different immediately since everyone yeah. uses it. But why? I Anyways, I, I think that Bob's version is, um, should stand the test of time but i think everybody loves a good beautiful uh rendition of the song and i think everyone that we have on here josh white's is is very early in this whole mix um probably the closest you're going to get to the song that was 1945 so i think if you're going to listen to anything that one's probably more connected to the time in the era of that than any of the others and van ronk's version's great but it's just a cover of josh white's so you know t- take it for what you want i think hester's version wins out because it's got the apron lines and i I personally love the apron lines. of all the ones that are the most faithful hers is the best i think just because she can really i think she embraces that really well the sad the solemnity the solemnity and and that's what we're talking about here today
Kelly, did you know that we're a real podcast? Only when we have to be. Only when we have to be, which is irregular at best. You can follow us online at sotwpod.com, where you can see show notes, and you can see all kinds of stuff from our past. And if you want to uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, that will tell you when new episodes are out, and uh, hopefully there will be more stuff and whatever. Um, go go there. You want to see cool photos, uh, Instagram, sotwpod. Everywhere. Just just do the things. Uh, and if you want to give us a dollar on Patreon, we definitely uh, love it. We'll say your name on the podcast. We'll say your name on the podcast. Uh, you will sponsor an episode. Who knows what you'll get to sponsor? Um, who knows hopefully what? Hopefully a good one. Hopefully a good one. Uh, the pipeline uh, is, you know, we, we choose at random. Sometimes we do themed months and stuff. So there is no telling. Uh, but if you give us a dollar, we will shout you out uh, for sure. So please uh, check out that if you want to. But the easiest way to keep in touch with us is through music which is why you're here. We listen to music 24-7 all the time, and we love talking about music, and we create a playlist for every single podcast that we make. And this song is no exception, Kelly. Playlist. Yes. Playlist was great this week. It was a ride. It was a ride. We're going to talk about <laughs> we're going to talk about a lot of these. So, uh, strap in, check your time codes to skip through this part. <laughs> well, welcome back. <laughs> Unless you want to hear about Carolyn Hester, in, in which case stay. Stay for the whole thing, please. And RuPaul. And RuPaul. Um, Dave Van Ronk. Welcome back to the... There's only four people that are coming back to this playlist. Everyone else is a brand new person. Dave Van Ronk for the sixth time. Josh White for the second time. Odetta for the fourth time, which we've already talked about all these people. And Prabhagandi for the fourth time. Um, that Purely because they said the word dink. And that was in a very sexual way. And it takes, it really, the, the sales are cut from uh, everything we just talked about, if we were going to talk about that. So we will not talk about Propagandi's song about how we all keep secrets and we're all inside horrible people. <laughs> Welcome to, I'm not going to go in order, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these quick. And then I've got a couple of big beats and, that I want to talk about more fully. Um, Herb Ellis, Inka Dinka Do. Uh, DJ Premier, Dinky. I never like I've heard of DJ Premier, but I didn't, and I knew he was a producer, but I didn't know he did an instrumental album. It just sounds so generic. It's my, it's my shit right there. <laughs> so generic. Uh, Booker T and the MJs, uh, Rinky Dink. And hopefully that vocalizing, you know, instantly mm-hmm. what I knew instantly in my heart that that's that baby, wow, wow, my sweet baby from is it like Mickey? What is it? Mickey, Mickey and, and Sylvia. Sylvia, yeah. Love is Strange. That was on the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Um, yeah, so these guys, Booker T and the MGs, were the house recording band for Stax Records in Memphis. Yep. And they, they were the backing for like Otis Redding and a whole bunch of fucking really famous people. And and so when I heard that riff, the second I heard it on the playlist, I was like, oh, I know this fucking song. And I was like, oh, of course. They're like, they do all the stuff. They do everything. They do all the things. They're so the sound. That was a really yeah. neat thing to, to find. Yeah. So that's why Love is Strange is on the podcast. Playlist. Enjoy. Uh, Peter Dinklage, the Mighty Eagle song from your favorite film, Angry Birds. I don't oh, know where really? this came from, but no, I, I just, love I the like Dinklage. Dinklage. It's so good. Uh, yes. I, I let that one slide Thanks. through. That's and it's wonderful. only two minutes. Come on. Yes. And I don't know what's happening in it, but no, I love I, to hear have, his voice. I have never watched the Angry <laughs> Birds film. <laughs> I hope Dinklage got paid well. Uh, Towns Van Sant for the first time, which is very criminal for me, but fairly well. Miss Carousel. Good. Wonderful. He's absolutely wonderful. Uh, for the first time. And probably last time, Stone Temple Pilots, Fairly Well. This is a new Stone Temple Pilots song. We had a whole discussion this week about Stone Temple Pilots and James 
Addiction and uh, Perry Farrell versus um, Scott Weiland and uh, Dave Navarro. Uh, All the, in there the and, baggage and garbage that brings, and you better believe Stone Temple Pilots is on tour right now with some other trash from the 90s that they deserve to be on tour with. Mm-hmm. Like, And I can't even remember the bands, but just think of a band that would be on tour with Stone Temple Pilots, like the Corpse of Alice in Chains or like anything. Like They are on tour with them. Yeah. Okay, So I can't believe they're still making music. Uh, the singer, it's, it really struck me because I was like, wow, he kind of sounds like Chester Bennington. That's mm. so weird. And then I was like, come to find out, fucking Chester Bennington was an official member of Stone Temple Pilots briefly in 2015, right before Scott Weiland died. Wow. And I was like, holy shit, that's so crazy. Is he on this song? Because, I mean, he only died two years ago. So it could stand to reason that this album, this Stone Temple Pilots album that came out this year... I just, my God, that he could weirdly be on this track. Like, right? Like, they're like, oh, remember when Chester came to the studio and did this fucking terrible version of Deke's song? Well, we need Um, to sell this record somehow. Yeah, exactly. But it's not Chester on the track. It's not Deke's song. No, it's Fairly Well or whatever. But it's not Fairly Well. It's a totally, is it not a unique song? Oh, I don't know. I didn't fucking Oh, no, no, no. No, that song is just Fairly Well. It's just the title. Oh, yeah. There's no connection. If there was, I would have definitely talked about it. No, no, no. It's a totally. The takeaway is that it's not Chester Bennington. It's a guy named Jeff Gutt. (laughs) G-U-T-T. J-E-F-F-G-U-T-T. Jeff Gutt. Who was a contestant on X Factor. Okay. Of course. So that's where they found him. Anyway. Where did they find RuPaul? Oh. And stinky dinky. Oh, oh god, man, this was this is a whole thing. Stinky dinky, hey, it's a jam. The less we say about it, the better. No, we're saying all the things. So, RuPaul. No, no, about the song. You can talk about RuPaul. Oh yes, the song is fucking trash, and that's why it's at the bottom of the playlist. If you don't know anything about RuPaul, other than how does how do you not know about RuPaul? Oh, you, oh sorry, a uh, Drag Race. Other than Drag yeah, Race, yeah. RuPaul was a drag queen and club kid in the late 80s. And a talk show, famously. Yeah, she had a talk show too. Like, she, like, there's a reason RuPaul's so fucking famous. Mm -hmm. Very important and made a lot of strides. Like, the first drag queen on fucking TV, winning Emmys, like, do it. Sure. There was a time where RuPaul made an album, an actual album. The year was 1993. And that title track, Supermodel, also known as You Better Work. Yes. Everyone's Everyone's heard heard that song. Absolutely. been in movies. It's like a real song. And then we let him continue to make music. Yeah. And we shouldn't have. And he just has been doing that every year since then. Um, he comes out. Well, now that he has the platform of Drag Race, where he Which has a legitimate, quote unquote, reason to make this filth <laughs> so that he can force the contestants to lip sync to it. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, yes. yes. Yes, sir. Why give anyone a penny in royalties when we could just make our own garbage? <laughs> oh, so. That's a Bob Dylan move. That's a Bob Dylan move. I refuse to get to license one song when I could just do it myself. Yeah, and then and sometimes they'll have the contestants write their own verses and stuff like that. But Fun. It's yeah. still, and you better fucking believe, like, that's that's the, the terrible pit of all this is not only is it RuPaul who's doing this year after year, every fucking sad bastard that needs money on RuPaul, any of the contestants, also uh, come out with an album. Alaska Thunderfuck 5000 has an album. Oh, we have... Jinx Monsoon has an we've album. We've had one of those songs on one of our playlists. I fucking sure we... Bob, every single one that's ever won or ever been part of the Zeitgeist has a motherfucking album. Now, I mm. will tell you that there are legitimate musicians that have been on Drag Race. Trixie Mattel is an actual fucking folk musician who has been playing the guitar since he was fucking eight years old and has like grew up in a folk singing household, like plays the auto harp. Amazing. Great songwriter. 
fun. That is the exception. The rest is terrible garbage fabricated by Todd Recall for the most part that is just to make money. And the fact that RuPaul's one and a half million monthly listeners is a testament to the garbage capital mon- capitalist monster she has created. And God bless. All do. The music is unlistenable. The music is unlistenable. Yeah. And I really hope that we never, it never but crops up again. But who enjoys it. <laughs> I'm happy for you. I'm happy. Yeah. I can't say that. God bless. Why are you here? God bless. Why are you here? <laughs> yeah. And I thank, thank you, RuPaul, for everything you've done. <laughs> I mean, RuPaul, the entity, I, I'm yeah. glad that it exists. I just don't want to listen to Stinky Dinky anymore. Stinky <laughs> Dink. I would, I, I just played it again for, for Station right before we came in here. And I would rather listen to Stinky Dinky on repeat for the rest of my life than listen to most of the other garbage he has produced. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Well, we're, we're basically what we're doing is saying that 93 album had some artistic uh, credibility. In, and unfortunately, this was on there. But it means that it gets a pass because yes. this could have been the only one, uh, even if it was just a thing cashing a, in on a fame. a weird novelty album. Yeah, but which is fine. That's fine. That's fine. I totally get that. But now it's just absurd. Uh, and a couple of other artists on here that I want to get into. Vitamin C. Vitamin C spelled wrong. Vitamin I-M-I-N. Uh, not vitamin C like the singer. Right. Smile. Right, right, right. Uh, no. So I went on Rate Your Music to try to find vitamin C. Couldn't find them. Okay. The album shows up on a, a website that I go to a lot called Album of the Year that tracks like new albums coming out so I know what's coming. It says that it was released November 30th, 1993. This album, the album is, because you put it on here. Hell yeah, uh, I did. 262 North Market. That's the album title. Um, So I was like, okay, I'm going to search for that. Nothing comes up. It's just really hard to find anything about this. Or you find like an Amazon page or whatever, and it's just just there. There's Mm -hmm. nothing about them. Uh, So I Googled vitamin C, clearly, and they're like, do you mean vitamin C? (laughs) No, Google, I mean vitamin C. And then you're like, "Uh, oh, but don't you mean like vitamin C that you get from the sun? Oh, or that The actual vitamin C, right? And you're like, no, I don't want that either. I want it misspelled, please, and I want you to search that 262 North Market. Um, I found online uh, that Google has the album listed, but it says it's from September 16th, 1996. So I'm confused. I'm like, what's going on? Um, I go to YouTube. YouTube has it online. It is being brought to you, provided to you by Catapult uh, Reservatory LLC. Catapult, and this is from their website, Catapult Distribution is a leading digital distributor of audio content for artists and labels from around the world. We distribute music CDs, albums, and other audio content into the top digital music stores. Um, their rates, and I don't know if this is good or bad, it's $25 for an album. They'll put it on everything. You get, pay them $25, but they get 9% of, of the income from said album. Mm. So if you put it on there. Now, I don't know if the 9% is forever or if it's for the first month. Or until a certain threshold is reached. Until a threshold is reached. I have no idea. But uh-huh. I was like, damn. And they do a little example. You know, if you make 100 from this, you will get $91 PayPal to you. And I'm like, okay strange and then i was like but this doesn't help me so then i went back to youtube and i opened up the more information i got a copyright jason bell search for jason bell with vitamin c at first nothing and then the first one of the first hits was facebook and i was like facebook facebook's a thing this took me that long to come around to facebook Facebook. and he's he's on they're on facebook uh vitamin c on punk rock band from centralia washington which explains why you probably saw it because the only listeners are from seattle portland and, you know, just like 
Washougal or whatever, you know. Okay. Yeah. So they're just a local band from ni- 1990s, though. So um, that album, I think the real date was 1993, 94. 94. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes 100% sense of one, why I was into it instantly. And two, why I was like, this sounds like Riot Girl, but there's a dude singing. It. Yeah. It's, like this really has that like girl punk from the 1990s energy, but with a dude. So worse, but like. I so it's like I could clock it. I could clock that it's very Pacific 90s. Northwest like sound. Mm, nice, nice. It threw me off immediately because I thought it was like a parody song, oh. and then it and then it got really good. And then every time they do like the chorus together, it it sounds very nineties. That's all. Um, but yeah, there's still a band, still apparently recording. They put out their music, which I I'm, I assume that they had them, and they went to this company to just put it out there for them. Sure, um, and he joked um, a couple of years ago that he got a royalty check for 17 cents and he was wondering how he could divide it up amongst his the friends uh so yeah they're still around i don't know if they play shows or anything i mean nobody plays so shows cool. shows are not a thing anymore right. um but yeah they, they were are on a playlist so feel free to listen to that get them above a thousand listens let's go fuck yeah man Gotti hook i was like i have definitely heard of this they're band a DC before band. they're from dc yeah yeah no i i no <laughs> i didn't know to the nail records they disbanded in 2002 you know who the lead singer is? Mm-mm. Joel Bell. Not Jason Bell. Mm. Joel Bell. And once I saw that, I was in a conspiracy mindset. I'm like, <laughs> what's going on? Where all the, pieces, all the pieces matter. Three more. Chad Morgan, the Dinkum Dill. Do you know this guy? Uh, well, no. I've never met the man. But uh, he was born February 11th, 1933 in Queensland, Australia. The 2011 census for where he was born in Wandai. Has two two thousand one hundred and twenty seven people. Oh, tiny, tiny town. Tiny town. Yeah. So he is known as the Sheik of Scrubby Creek, and he released an album in nineteen fifty eight with this song on it, called the Sheik of Scrubby Creek on Columbia Records. Oh, damn. Uh, and and it ends with I got a paper to prove that I'm sane. Can you produce one too? I think it's a very funny song. Oh, it's amazing. It's, a, it's really a good. Weirdo Australian country guy. And and his the the, the teeth and everything are real and they're part of him and that's great <laughs> whatever um but yeah he's just he's um i mean on his website or on wikipedia sorry not his website uh wikipedia is sort of um i didn't read like australian country although there's a long article about that and it makes total sense because they you know what is country music for us in a way western country all about the west all about the plains and native americans and the culture between you know okay. the clashes between well that's exactly what's happening in Australia. It happened in Australia. Um, so it's interesting that there's two parallel country things going on in the world. Um, do but we have any listeners from Australia? Do we? Yeah. We've got listeners from almost every country. Yeah. Yeah. Because I bet they, I bet this guy is like, oh, he's probably the, the most known entity of all time. Maybe. I mean, especially with his teeth, but they, they do describe him as like a vaudeville thing. So I, his, Brand of humor is probably not funny anymore, but well, he's yeah, probably sure, but respected. Like, we know people from then, right? For Americans. True, stars. absolutely. So I th- I'm sure this guy, like, if you're Australian, you're like, yeah, of course, Chad Morgan, uh, you idiot. Of course, Chad Morgan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you're a fucking idiot for not knowing Chad Morgan. Uh, and then before we get to Carolyn Hester, uh, Iconics, Skidamarink. Oh. So you were doing girl. a dance last time that we were talking. Skidamarink. Skidamarink. So what are you doing? You got to put, okay, so you put. I don't know if it matters if you're left or right hand, but like you basically you put one of your hands underneath one of your elbows to like cut okay. it, and then you get a limp wrist, limp and you wrist. go skidamarinky rinky ding, and then we switch it up. So it up. now I'm putting my right hand on my left elbow, right. and then lip wristing skidamarinky do, waving it back and forth, yes. and then you say I, I point your thumbs at yourself, point your thumbs at yourself, cross your arms, your arms of your chest and fists, love. love like Wakanda. Wakanda yes, forever. Wakanda forever. forever. Love. And then you, you. 
point forward with both your thumbs and fingers like pew, pew fingers. So we, you found. Uh, you didn't let me finish. Sorry. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> Is there more to yeah, the song? I love you in the morning and in the afternoon. I love you in the evening and underneath the moon. Oh, and then and you, then did, you did a moon. Yeah, you did a moon. Like your arm is like going up. Like almost. Yeah, why I'm seeing just with one. Or you can maybe do moon. moon? I don't know. Moon. That's more sleepy. And then sleeping. back to Skinner Rinky Dink. Okay. Skinner Rinky Do. I love you. Oh. Yes. Okay. Um, Hate it. And why did you choose? I've never done the dance before. I certainly know the song. Everybody knows the fucking song, unfortunately. Why do you choose Iconic's version? So because they're all insufferable and we already oh. have trauma from the kids' songs that you forced us to listen to before. I put kids' bops on there. Yeah. It was a mistake. Yeah. And there was the one, worst. the Claremont kids or whatever, that just like instantly you pop it on. Yep. You know it's you what it die. is. You want to die. Done. Yeah. So so I was on the search. I was like, well, now I'm fucking determined to have one on here. So I accidentally found one in Korean. And I was like, hell yeah. Iconics, did you know, is actually a Korean entertainment conglomerate. They produce Great. children's shows. So that's not the band. It's the brand, basically. So all the kids shows. This must have been on one of the kids shows that they produce. We, this is a tainted playlist. That's all I have to this say. Is, <laughs> this is a, this is a lot. We're, there's a lot of education going on here. There we is. learned so much. You know what? That's what this podcast is about. It is. So it much. is. And the final one that I want to do is Carolyn Hester. Because Carolyn Hester has an incredibly important role in the life of a one Bob Dylan that we talked about. Really? Absolutely she does. Probably the most important role. No fucking way. Absolutely. So More important than Susan. She recorded an album called Scarlet Ribbons in 1957. It was produced by a man named Norman Perry. Who else did Norman Perry produce? Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly heard Carolyn Hester doing what she was doing um, in 1957 at the sessions for that album. And he loved it so much that he bought an apartment in Greenwich Village and he was going to move there. Buddy Holly would have been a folk singer if he didn't die. So he died right after he had moved in. He had already moved in. He was already going to start living in New York and he, and he died in the plane crash. Uh, she knew him, obviously, because they worked together, Norman Perry, and played together. She met Bob Dylan while she was playing three sets a night at Gertie's Folk City uh, back in 1961. He was fascinated because of the Buddy Holly connection. In Chronicles, Bob Dylan writes, quote, John had first seen and heard me, talking about John Hammond, he had first seen and heard me at Carolyn Hester's apartment. Carolyn was a Texas guitar-playing singer who I knew and played played with around town. She was going places, and it didn't surprise me. Carolyn was eye-catching, down-to-home, and double-barrel beautiful. That she had known and worked with Buddy Holly left no small impression on me, and I liked being around her. Buddy was royalty, and I felt like she was my connection to it, to the rock and roll music that I'd played earlier, to that spirit. So one way or another, we don't know exactly how, Bob Dylan was recruited to play on Hester's first album. This is the first time he's ever recorded, period. Period. He plays on it? Like, recorded? Like, that's him? He doesn't play on every song. He was playing harmonica. He wasn't playing anything else. Um, but you can listen to him right now. They, they label the first song, uh, which is I'll Fly Away, with Bob Dylan. No just shit. so people know that Bob Dylan's there. Um, so, you know, but the album didn't really say that or emphasize that before. Right. Um, but... He, she was recruited him to play on that, play harmonica, because she knew he was good at harmonica. Um, the sessions were set to begin on September 29th, 1961. That's an important day in Bob Dylan lore. From Chronicles, Bob Dylan says, quote, We met over at her apartment, me and guitarist Bruce Langhorn and stand-up bass player Bill Lee, whose four-year-old son would soon become the filmmaker Spike Lee. Eventually, Bruce and Bill would play on my records. Bruce, I mean, uh, Langhorn, of course, played 
Um, love minus zero, no limit. I mean, he's he's all over bringing it all back home. Uh, they played with Odetta and could play everything from melodic jazz to rock and tunes. If you had them playing with you, that's pretty much all you needed to know about anything. They rehearsed songs I'll Fly Away, which is an old gospel, uh, Swing and Turn Jubilee, and Walter Davis's Come Back Baby. So he's definitely on those three songs. You can hear the harmonica. He's playing on them. During these sessions, and this is a picture from the session. So that's Bob. That's Bob. That's Bruce. And that's Bill. And that's Carolyn. Wow. Dude, this is so mind-blowing. Not because of the Bob Dylan thing. I mean, that's that's cool. Especially, like, just all the personnel and all the little... Things. That's what I'm saying. Spike Lee's dad. <laughs> Spike Lee's dad's just hanging out here. NBD. Yeah. Um, because I thought that track was recent. Like I didn't. Oh like, wow. I, I have no idea who this woman is. I oh just, cool. Just because the recording quality. Yeah, it's very good. Like her, vo- her voice is everything gorgeous. Everything about it. Yeah. Wow. Like that. That's the timelessness of a guitar and a fucking singer. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right there. genuinely the guitar. So. so so, well, we'll get to that part in a moment. So September 29th, 1961, remember the date. So that's when the session started. I think the sessions only were like two days because at the end of that first day, Bob Dylan, you know, you go to the studio, you play around. Bob's obviously playing the harmonica. Well, everybody loves him. Um, he's just a kid, you know, but he knows Carolyn. He knows all of them because they hang out at an apartment. So it's a kind of a chill atmosphere. So he's just playing guitar, um, playing some songs, you know, n- nothing that he's really written at this point. So he's just playing covers and stuff. Uh, and John Hammond comes up to him and he asked him if he's recording with anyone. Uh, from Chronicles, Bob Dylan says, he was the first authoritative, authoritative figure who had ever asked me that. He just kind of said it in passing. I shook my head, didn't hold my breath to hear him respond, and he didn't. And that was that. That morning, September 29th, 1961, was the day that Robert Shelton uh, dropped the first review of Bob Dylan, the rave review of Bob Dylan. He went to a show for the Green Bar Boys who were an established act. Bob Dylan opened for them. The whole article was Bob Dylan, the future of music. Um, he just raved about Bob Dylan as as what he was doing with his guitar, what he was doing with his voice. And that alone um, was enough for to, for Bob to say, quote, the sessions went well and everyone was packing up and leaving. This was the next day. Hammond asked me to come to the control booth and told me that he would like for me to record at Columbia Records. I said that, yeah, I would love to do that. I could feel my heart leap up to the sky to some intergalactic star. Inside, I was in a state of unstable equilibrium, but you wouldn't have known it. I couldn't believe it. It seemed too good to be true. And then the next day, September 30th, 1961, he plays at Gertie's. And he plays Ding Song for the first and only time before 1976. Cue the X-Files music. Uh, As for Carolyn Hester, um, they remain friends. And in fact, there's one more crazy connection that we haven't really ever talked about. Uh, But Hester was married to Richard Farina, uh, who was a writer and later became a folk singer. Uh, From Chronicles, Bob Dylan says, Carolyn was married to Richard Farina, a part-time novelist and adventurer. I thought he was the luckiest guy in the world to be married to Carolyn. But Farina had his eyes on someone else. Can you guess who? Hint, she was 16 years old. She was Joan Baez's sister, Mimi. (laughs) So they, uh, when Carolyn Hester found out, she went to Mexico, got a divorce. Divorced Richard Farina. Farina married Mimi. Mimi and Richard were a duo. They actually had a couple of of great songs, and he died. So he died in 1966 in a motorcycle crash, right around the same time Bob Dylan was in a motorcycle crash himself. So because he died early and young, people still... Whatever. Anyways, the best man at the wedding with Mimi was Thomas Pynchon, who wrote Gravity's Rainbow. The book is is dedicated to Richard Farina, which I didn't even know. Fucking crazy. Anyways, Hester filed for divorce. As I said, he died. Um, Hester later turned down a chance to be in a new band called Peter, Paul, and 
Carolyn? No. Mary Travers took the place, but she could have been in Peter, Paul, and Mary. Peter, Paul, and Carolyn. Uh, <laughs> she stuck to traditional songs, maybe a little too long. Uh, she went right from traditional straight to psychedelic. She started the uh, Carolyn Hester Coalition. Check out this cover of the Carolyn Hester oh, yeah, Coalition. And uh, apparently just from... She she is probably one of the most weirdest, like Spotify to rate your music to Discogs. Like, I can't for the life of me track where her albums are. You can't find them anymore. The Carolyn Hester Coalition does not exist. Huh. You on Spotify, you can listen to the first three albums, her 61, 62, 63 albums. And then you get something from 1994, and then you get her newest one from 2010. Um, but the entire coalition, and she she put out maybe about seven more albums. They're nowhere to be found. And I think it's just because it's traditional or apparently the psychedelic stuff was really bad. So I don't know if it's just like, I don't want to do it anymore. Um, but in her 2010 album, that's the last time we've heard from her. Uh, she did kind of drop out. I think that she also got married and like just didn't want to be a part of shit anymore. Um, she she released an album in 2010 called We Dream Forever. And can you guess what cover of Bob Dylan she covers on there? Boots of Spanish leather. Oh, nice. Because you got it. So, yeah, that's Carolyn Hester. If it wasn't for Carolyn Hester in that studio in that day and John Hammond being able to be right in front of Bob Dylan as he read that morning and met him the next day, that Bob Dylan, oh my God, what? New York the Times? Of yeah, Bob Dylan, New York Times. And he's unsigned. Unsigned, you say? I want it. Loves poems. Absolutely. I mean, and he was already, he had all the clout. I think if, if there was a bidding war, which there probably might have been, you know, right after that, because it's like, who is this Bob Dylan? Yeah, I but mean, you're a young kid. And you're like, fuck yes, please, please, please. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, even if he was a bidding war, John Hammond would absolutely come out on top. Who wouldn't want to be with Billie Holiday or, or your friend, Carolyn Hester, who was an up and comer and everybody loved her? Bob, Bob, Buddy Holly, right? I mean, it's like you, you've, you've fucked with Bob Dylan in a way that he would never say no to you. Right. And, and music history was made on that day, September 29th, 1961. And yeah, the next day for him to go out and play Dink Song, Dink Song, which is on her record, which he, as far as we know, is not on it. Um, it's presumably just Carolyn, possibly Bruce Langhorn, maybe playing guitar, um, because it's just a guitar in her and it's lovely, but surely he was sitting there listening to her play it right. As she recorded it. And then he was like, I'm just going to go out and play it as a celebration. Right. I, I, I'm signed to Columbia now. Anyways, that's our playlist. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, we're also people in the world this week. Um, quickly, what what would you recommend for the people out there that you were uh, dealing with in the COVID world that we live in? Um, what can they do to pass some time? I'm reiterating what I said last week because I actually finished it. The series Feel Good, not series, but the first season, hopefully just. Oh, you watched three episodes. First season. Yeah, I only watched three episodes. Of so six. Of six. Okay. <laughs> I finally got around to Oh, wow. They're only really half an hour, too. So you're you had the time. I, I mean, it's just like watching. Uh, They're like 22 minutes, right? Bridget, Phoebe Waller-Bridges. Uh, Fleabag. It's just like watching Fleabag. The whole season takes two, two hours. Seconds, yeah. <laughs> like, and I just hadn't gotten around to it. It anyway, almost begs to be done like uh, that. Too. It's 
so fucking good. I mean, it really, really resonates with me mm. because it's about a lesbian who's having a hard time dating presumably a straight woman. Oh, man. What a story is all this time. Hi, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just fantastic. Really touching. Really intimate. Wonderful. Uh, so that sent me on a bad downward lesbian spiral, and so rewatching the L word. So that's always a bad. Oh time. no! Um, so that's what I. But not rewatching the new L word. No, you're going back to the no, old. Like you're going back to the crisis days of the like old one. Gear myself up to watch the new one. And you didn't immediately turn it off when fucking what's her face started talking about poetry and shit. Oh, when Jenny opens her mouth. Ever? Jenny opens yeah. her mouth. I think she opens the show. Does she not? She, oh, She's yeah. the. Her and Tim have sex it, like three oh, different times. Oh god, Tim. Tim. I remember Tim. Tim. Eric Mabius. Eric I like him. He was nice. Crow fans might know him as the straight to video Crow 3. Crow. <laughs> Shouts to the Crow fans out Shout there. <laughs> Never forget Edward Furlong. Um, All right. So we got we got show. We got uh, L. We're going back in time to I Showtime. Mean, Where can they watch that? Is that on? Uh, it's just on Hulu. Straight it's on Hulu. Like regular up. Hulu. Not, you don't have the Showtime subscription. It's just there. Get it while you can, folks. Get it while you can. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm sure it will be gone soon. Yeah. Uh, and then mostly I've just been listening to my favorite Spotify playlist. And I say that only favorite because I keep going back to it. So it must be my favorite, uh, Pollen, which is like a mix. The <laughs> the description for the playlist is something pretentious, like um, good has no genre. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't fault it because true. like, yeah, I get it. But it's mostly like alternative hip hop, like experimental yeah. hip hop on R&B. And it's just so great. Like, I mean. Frank Ocean's on it all the time. Donald Glover's, I'm sorry, Childish Gambino's new album. Right. Uh, a couple of his songs feature on there. Like, it's, it's that kind of stuff. Thundercats new and shit And it changes there. constantly, obviously. So constantly updated. So every cool. week it's like some new stuff. Like they, they have some hangers, hangers on. Like, they won't, I don't think they update every single song every week. Yeah. But it's like they rotate slowly, phase out the songs. Oh, uh, wait, yep. I'm so sorry. I forgot something really important. You still have time. The year is 1990. The actress, Winona Ryder. The actor, Jeff oh. Daniels, arguably. There's a movie that's so accidentally on brand. I watched this movie a week before we got this song. And it's called Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael. The main character, played by Winona Ryder, named Dinky Bassetti. <laughs> and let me tell you that it's a train wreck from start to finish. Oh. It's labeled as a drama comedy before we had the words dramedy and black comedy. Yeah. And it is neither funny or dramatic. Yeah. It is Maybe the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. The fact that it was produced is a miracle. And the fact that real ass actors, Winona Ryder, real ass actors. peak Winona Ryder. Yeah. What's her name in this? Dinky. Dinky Bassetti. <laughs> and it's not short oh. for anything. It's never revealed that her name is Darla. It's right, never. Right, right. Nope. Her name is Dinky, Dinky. And they make a point to say it every time she's on the fucking screen. <laughs> hey, is that Dinky Bassetti? Pointing. Yeah. So the title, Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael. It's about this apparently really famous figure from the small town of clive or clark state redacted uh and she is going to come home for the first time in 18 years she's coming back to the town just to say hello and we show her naked from behind in a pool and we show her Dope. legs carrying a suitcase but you never actually see her through the whole movie and i was oh, like good for you that's fine good that's for fine. you that was like the one and only like little move but you saw it coming from a mile away like we're never gonna see her yeah yeah like, okay. but winona Ryder playing the titular dinky bassetti um <laughs> 
Is it titular? <laughs> no, What's it's the name not, of because this? It's called Ro- Welcome to Roxy Carmichael, but it should be called What the Fuck, Dinky Bassetti. She plays a uh, trash goblin, tragic haircutted, boot wearing, uh, <laughs> what everyone would code as a lesbian, but we can't because it's only 1990 character who is misunderstood teenager in her high school and she like has a crush on a boy and it's all really sad, but she's adopted and she's made herself believe that Roxy Carmichael is her mom. And oh, so when no. she comes back to town, Roxy Carmichael is going to take her away from a miserable life in Clive against David Dacke. How old is Dinky? 16. Oh. I think. She's so young. When not yes, yes, yes. Okay. But Jeff Daniels and Roxy Carmichael, that's the whole thing, had a kid before she left town. And Winona Ryder's convinced herself that he's her father, her right. biological father, because Roxy Carmichael is obviously her biological mother. And she is. At the end of the movie, we get a heart-to-heart between Jeff Daniels and Winona Ryder. That baby died, Dinky! That baby died! You're not her! And I can't express to you oh how bad it is and how funny it is that we watched that movie apropos of nothing. Yeah. Because on paper, Winona Ryder, 1990, yeah. Melissa Etheridge does the soundtrack, has two original songs that play multiple times throughout. I'm like, they, how could I not love this? Yeah. This is a movie made for me. And yet. And yet. One of the worst things I've ever seen. In my That's life. incredible. I've never heard of it in my life. There's a line between the heartthrob boyfriend guy who's he's like, I really want to kiss you right now, Dinky. <laughs> to which she responds, it's good to want things. Runs away. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. so bad. Welcome home, Roxy Carmichael. Please never watch. Ooh. Well, so I, when you started with Monona Ryder, I was like, oh, are you well, watching we're in. We're Plot in. Against America? Because oh, she's in it? She's in it. Nice. Yep. Mm-hmm. She is uh, a potential uh, collaborator. She's working with, um, working for some, some programs. Charles Lindbergh is the new president. He's just shaking hands with Hitler. They We've signed a, a pact with them. We are, we're at peace with Germany. We're going to let Germany... Just continue on their way. Anyways, uh, shouting that out on HBO. If you got it, new albums, just really quick. Smith Street Band, Don't Waste Stringer, Fiona Apple, Fetch the Boat Cutters. Listen the shit out of Fiona Apple. Uh, every album, there's only five of them. Uh, so Fetch, your bulk, Fetch the Boat Cutters is fucking really, really... I've ever listened to an album of hers, and because good. that came out and you recommended it, yeah. I uh, have listened to all of them. They're all fucking great. Yeah, they're all great. She's, she's great. That is great. Every song is so unique and different and weird and... And it just benefits from her just being a recluse in a way. Like she just sits at home, writes these things as they come, and she plays them. And there's like, you know, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, the song has her dogs in it. Like they're credited as, you know, Maxi or whatever kisses my face. And one of her dogs died. And Aww. she uses like the ashes to like play the piano keys. So that dog is credited as well. It's beautiful shit. And Laura Marling just uh, upped her album date from whenever to now just because fuck it. She was like... What are we doing? Nothing. So <laughs> here's some new song, song, song for our daughter, uh, which is great. And then a couple of discoveries that I had. Um, the Beths uh, is a band that's about to come out with a new album, but they have an album called Future Me Hates Me. And it's just like great pop punk. I uh, My Discover Spotify used to just be girl-fronted pop punk bands. Mm-hmm. And then that's gone now because it's like jazz. And I'm like... No, I need <laughs> I need the best, and I'm just I'm really sad that I didn't know the best, and now I'm following them, so I better fucking hear when that album comes out in 2020. And finally, Dolly fucking Parton. I've been right. listening to Dolly Parton uh, everything from 1967 to 1973. I'm up to Jolene right now. Don't spoil anything. Um, <laughs> it's a very strange ride. She just is so earnest and lovely, and I get why people fucking love her. I don't 
understand you're a human and you got to lie or a man and you got to get what you want how you want it but so do i and i wanted to try why did you not want to try why did you take it all away why did you not want to try why did you take it all away why did you not want to try why did you take it all away why did you not want to try why did you take it all away Oh, Kelly, it was such a delight to be with Dink's song all week. Oh, my God. We love this era of Bob Dylan. Who doesn't? We're basic. Sue us. Please don't sue us. There's not a lot of money in the bank. There's none. So you think. (laughs) All right, Kelly, we're down to uh, 391 songs. Uh, Episode 110 is the next one in sequential order, if you're into that type of thing. Kelly. Gotcha. What number... Am I going to hear out of your mouth next? 132. 132. Correct. It's a good thing it was a number because otherwise it wouldn't conform to my spreadsheet. 132. <laughs> ah, it would have been excellent. Ah, it would have been so nice to go from Dink's song to another great song. Mama, you've been on my mind. Mama. Mama. It's another song to add to your list. Oh, well, that would that could definitely be on our, <laughs> on our uh, future Spotify playlist. And if you haven't subscribed, go do that. You know, right? Yep. You already heard how to do it. Yep. So go do it. Yep. No, Kelly. Unfortunately, it's not. Mama, you've been on my mind. It's going to be number one twenty. Mm, very close. You know, I know random.org is picking my numbers now. They're doing the legwork. I get it. But true. I still really am going to need somewhere in writing for me to continue doing this podcast. I oh. need in writing from you. Whoa. The prize that I will receive. Ah. Because it's, it's been four years. It's been a long time. And I've just been doing this out True. of inertia and out of just, you know, friendship. Yeah. Well, that's uh, the whole. And I'm going to need, oh, I'm going to need some rewards. You need rewards. I worked for free for four years and I need a light at the end of the tunnel. So. Well, I mean, that's what Patreon's for people. You heard the plea. Pay her. <laughs> Pay her now. No, give me a prize. Give me a prize. Well, I'll work on the prize. Okay. Give me another four years and I'll have an idea oh, about what the prize can possibly okay. be. Kelly, we are TV heads. We like TV. TV heads. Yep. What would you say to a song called TV Talking Song? I would say that there was a big part of Bob Dylan's career where he was, in fact, just chilling at his house and writing some songs. <laughs> In between watching MASH. 100% true. And watching old movies, as we talked about before. So we are going to do TV Talking Song, episode 110. We'll talk TV. We'll talk talking. Talk songs. We'll talk TV talking and songs. We'll see you for 111 after 110. You know, 110's Counting. I know how to go. Goodbye. (laughs) Love yourself. And that's what they do